Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Events with Benefits, a podcast designed to help nonprofit organizations raise more money and achieve greater success at their events. My name is Ian Loth. I'm the VP of Fundraising here at Winspire, and I'm actually standing in for Danny Hooper because both he and Renee could not make it here uh, for the intro, but I wanted to get this episode out here today with uh, Kelly Velasquez Haig from One Cause. So uh, before we get to the interview, just wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Danny Hooper, even though he couldn't be here. Uh, he's a professional fundraising auctioneer and the author of a best-selling book called Easy Money, How to Generate Record Profits at Your Next Fundraising Auction Event. Uh, you can find that book on Amazon uh, by searching Danny Hooper, and you can also go to dannyhooper.com. Um, today's show is also brought to you by Winspire. Uh, we're the industry leader in providing unique, one-of-a-kind consignment travel packages for your fundraising event. These include experiences to places like Napa Valley, uh, New York, going to see Hamilton Broadway, and uh, every, other places around the globe uh, that you can use in your live auction, silent auction, raffle prizes, wherever. And the neat thing is it's absolutely no risk because you only pay for the trips that actually raise money at your event. Uh, you can go to go to, or you can, excuse me, you can go to winspireme.com to learn more. Uh, today's episode is also brought to you uh, by Donation Match, your one-stop shop for event donations and give-back opportunities. Donation Match connects your cause with local and national companies who are willing to donate products or services to your fundraising event. You can sign up for free at donationmatch.com. Uh, today's episode um, is going to be all about um, you know just benefit auctions, and we're actually joined by our guest Kelly uh, from uh, One Cause, formerly BidPow. Uh, Danny Hooper is going to be performing the interview and it's a fabulous interview. Uh, Kelly has a tremendous amount of knowledge because she came from the event fundraising world. She was a development director for, uh, I believe it was a children's hospital in Chicago. Uh, so she has a ton of experience uh, running you know, both live and silent auctions, uh, you know, throwing big, big gala fundraisers uh, and having a lot of success doing it. Uh, so she, she brought her knowledge to one cause and she's been working there uh, as their head of content and marketing um, for, for their, her department. So uh, lots of information to be gleaned here today. Um, sorry, Danny and, and Renee couldn't join me here for the intro, but they will be there for the interview coming up right now. Well, Kelly, great to have you with us today on Events with Benefits, and uh, you are the Director of Content Marketing with a company called One Cause. And uh, One Cause, that, uh, that's not too familiar to me. Is that a new player in the landscape? You know, no, we've actually been around as a company. We're actually celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. We started as BidPal. Uh, oh, well, Bid, kind of I know pioneer. BidPal. Yeah, that's a pioneer name in the industry. And that what we found is like as our products continued to evolve and we went on beyond mobile bidding to meet the needs of our nonprofit customers, we needed a name that really better reflected the fact that we were online text to give, um, you know, event software and mobile bidding. And so that's where we went under this rebrand um, over the course of 2017 and then officially launched in 2018 under the new company name of One Cause. This idea that, you know, we really put our customer causes, not just the technology, at the center of everything we do. This concept that as together in the world of nonprofit fundraising, we all have a cause. So how do we as technology partners, how do we as technology providers um, support more than just events, but really help power the total fundraising of our nonprofit partners. All right. Well, let's uh, go back and uh, talk about some of your history. I certainly know uh, BidPal. You folks were one of the pioneers in, in the mobile bidding uh, uh, business or the platform. And uh, maybe you can just go back in your history and tell us uh, how did it all start with BidPal? 
Sure. We started in uh, 2008. We're based out of Indianapolis. This concept, our two founders were at a charity event, and they were feeling pulled into you know, a million different directions, as, as most guests are um, when they're at fundraising events. And they sat and looked at each other when they're sitting at this table during this gala and said, boy, now we have to get up from dinner, from the program, and go back in and bid. Why Wouldn't it be great if there was a technology so we could just – be in one place and, and bid and enjoy at the same time. And so through that idea, through that that pain point of what donors experience of wanting to give but wanting to have a good time, um, BidPow was born. And then over the course of the last decade, I mean, we've supported over 4,000 nonprofits from coast to coast of all different shapes and sizes. We've um, conducted 13,000 fundraising events, the most in the industry as well as helped. I think the, the stat that we're the most proud of is that we've helped our causes, our nonprofit um, organizations connect with more than a million donors every year and raise a total of over $1.2 billion. Wow. That's great, Kelly. Um, Ian here from Winspire. Uh, I understand you personally have quite a bit of experience in the nonprofit fundraising space. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you came from and how you got your start? Sure, and I'm actually not that different from a ton of us at One Cause. We have a lot of us who are very passionate about fundraising who come from the nonprofit world and bring that experience with us. I actually started uh, as a BidPal customer. I was one of the first customers in Chicago, and as a director of development for a private school, I was also challenged with the con- you know this, this constant battle of how do I keep my auction fresh, how do I, there's never enough hours in the day or people on my team, how can I get that extra resource? And I stumbled across a BitPal and I thought, you're gonna, wow, this could revolutionize my fundraising. Um, and, and used it and, and it did. And I think the power of what it did for my small private school in, in Chicago just stuck with me. And once I retired from the world of fundraising, I joined the BidPal team and have kind of been in a variety of different roles over the course of uh, the last six, seven years. Well, that's great, Kelly. And, you know, uh, we want to talk to you today. Uh, the title of uh, today's podcast is called The Art and Science of uh, Benefit Auctions. A great title. And what percentage of a successful fundraising event is art? Uh, what percentage of it is science? And let's just uh, speak to that for a moment. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think like anything in the real world, if we had a secret formula, um, you know, we'd all be raising, you know, millions of dollars on a daily basis. There's not really a hard and fast rule other than I say to all my nonprofit customers and clients is you have to have both, right? Um, And maybe, you know, equal attention to art and science. And what we mean by that is the art is thinking about the experience of your benefit auction thinking um, about what it's going to feel like and what are you creating for your guests when they walk in because it's that the movement, the mood of that experience that's going to put your donors into the right state of mind to engage with your fundraising. And then the science is um, to think about your auction like a business. It's, it's a storefront. It's a one-time event. And there are ways to elongate it, but the idea is that you've got to think of it like a business. And and like any good business, how can you bring data? How can you bring technology? How can you bring strategy uh, to that auction so that you can make it the most profitable um, experience for your cause that that you can? 
Well, you folks have done, you know, if you're talking about having raised $1.2 billion in the, in the nonprofit space, you no doubt have a, a, a deep mine of, uh, of data. Uh, and what is some interesting data that you might be able to share with us, some of the things that might uh, make people stop and go, wow, I didn't know that? Um, I would say that, you know, the trend out there, I think one of the most interesting trends is how do you take technology beyond just the uh, the event experience, I mean, beyond when they walk in the door, how can you take technology and elongate your fundraising? And what I mean by that is we're seeing groups now um, through tools, some, you know, similar to what we have at One Cause, this concept of that you can have an event long before you walk in the door. If you put your auction online uh, before the event and you start your bidding, what we're seeing is that groups can extend their fundraising on an average of 30 to 34 days uh, before their event. And wh what does that do? And we're going to talk a little bit about this in the, in the webinars. You know, we have a group here in Chicago that they put their experiences online before their event um, to generate revenue. And they walked into the door with $17,500 raised before the event had even started, right? So really what that allowed them to do by going early, by putting certain things online, is to build a foundation that ended up, they were able to reap exponential growth um, by the end of the event just because of the fact that they thought about how could they broaden their fundraising using tools and using technology. And so you think this concept of, an event now can be broader, longer, um, and more powerful than just the five, six, seven hours that your guests are on site. All right. Let's um, talk about that. So if, if you're talking about putting some of your items online, are you talking about an online auction prior to the event? And, and if so, how does that work? If people are bidding online on an item, does that item then continue and carry on into the live event? Uh, or is that item sold absolutely sold online prior to the uh, event? And that's, I, I guess, this is that's a great question because that's where the art and the science kind of come together and the concept, the concept that... Some groups are having their online auctions be items that are just before the event. Why would you do that? Because you've got a gazillion items and you only have so much table space, right? So what you're allowed to do with these virtual online auctions is kind of call out either items that you know um, will sell fast online or things that you simply just don't have room for on your tables but you want to start to generate a excitement. And the idea is with these giving centers or these microsites is you can drive people there to buy your tickets. They buy their tickets. They see an auction item. They bid on the auction item. So if um, you stop the item or the auction before the event, then all that revenue is done that, that those particular items are bid on. Some nonprofits are starting them before and then carrying them over to the event. So bidding starts online. You engage in excitement. You drive the prices up. Again, Thinking very strategically, you probably don't want to do this for your entire auction. You want to pick a handful of items that are really going to help kind of build you a great base to walk in the door. And then to answer your question, yes, in, when um, the items are bid on online, the great thing is when I'm as a donor walking into your event, I've got it right there on my phone. My bidding just continues. I continue to get my outbid notices. I know exactly what I'm participating in. Um, and I'm doing so while I'm at the event. 
All right, now, with some of these items online roll, or could some of them roll into your live auction? I'm just thinking, could your auctioneer get up and say, could she say or he say that uh, we already have... uh, uh, an online bid uh, for this particular travel package. Uh, the bid is at uh, 3500 and now we're going to take it live and see if we can't get 3600 here. Do you see that sort of thing? We, we, we've seen it a couple times. It's probably not the best practice for a variety of different reasons. There's a certain... Um, uh, you want your donors to feel like they're having an authentic experience, yeah. um, not that they're having a bait-and-switch. Right. So there's this concept that if you I'm going to put it out online and then all of a sudden, well, no, no, I'm not really going to put it out online for you. I'm now going to take it and move it into the auction. So there's been, I think, you know, the nonprofits in general are very protective of their brand and their donor experience. So um, I think the sense of authenticity makes it better when if you're going to use an item online, do it online. And if you're going to use an item in your live auction, use it in your live auction. Don't confuse your donors. Great advice. Don't entice or, yeah. Love it. I love it, Kelly. Um, great. Kind of moving into, and you've talked about how, you know, a little bit of this is, is, is art here. Um, t- let's talk a little bit about how many auction items, uh, you know, people should be including in their events. Because it's, it's changing. It's ever-changing. The more people I talk to, the more opinions that I get. Um, you know, and what do you normally see out there, the events that you've been helping? How many silent auction items? How many live auction items, um, you know, have you seen? So I think the easiest one to answer is the live auction. Um, typically, I know, Ian, you guys recommend what you can get through in 45 minutes. Um, we tend to be like 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, what we're seeing, and it's not so much about what we're recommending at Wonkaz, but more about what we're seeing drives profitability. And it's really somewhere in between the six to nine to 10 item range. Once you start to get more than 10 items in your live auction, um, you just lose that excitement, that energy that galvanizes bidding. And so what we say to our customers is really think strategically about the live auction, pick your best items, know your audience, um, and smaller can be better. Uh, you'd rather have, you know, five, six, seven powerful items than 12 that do mediocre. All right, Kelly, I'm a fundraising auctioneer, and here's a question I'll post to you. Should organizations even bother with a live auction? Um, I am a believer in multiple revenue streams for every event. That's the right answer. <laughs> that is <laughs> the right answer. answer. Be, <laughs> my answer is ask. My answer is absolutely, right? And, and we're going to talk about this in the webinars. You think about your auction, like a, your benefit auction, like a pyramid, right? And so your live auction is that top end of the pyramid, that 10 to 15% of your high um, donor demographic. You want to engage them, right? If they have the capacity to give at those higher levels, you don't want to try to sell them a $25 raffle ticket. Um, so you really have to think about your audience, segment your audience, and make sure you have fundraising streams that meet your audience. So you have your live option, you have your silent option, you have your appeal, um, and then you probably have a lower end, some kind of engagement strategy, whether it be a raffle or fixed price items. That's great, Kelly. And, and for those of you uh, out there, uh, 
you know, Kelly keeps referencing a webinar that we're doing. We're actually going to do it this Wednesday. We're recording this in, in late January. Uh, so if you're interested in, in hearing uh, the webinar that Kelly and I are going to be doing, you can find a recording on, on either onecause.com or, or Winspire by, by searching for webinars. Um, and we're going to be talking about all this going a little bit more in depth uh, to what she's talking about. And uh, she talked about this pyramid here. And it's, it's, a, it's a really important point that I like to make, too, for, for all of our customers as well, is that especially with regard to the live auction, you know, you're really only focusing on the top 15% of your audience, which is not that many people, right? If you have a 200-person uh, event, that's only 30 people, right? If you have a 400-person event, that's only 60 people. And especially if you turn uh, in terms of buying units, right, they're usually one wallet per couple. Uh, so you're, you're talking about half that. So if you have an event of 400 people, you're talking about 30 couples that you need to go and you need to find out what they want to buy. And then you need to cater your auction items, whatever you're going out and procuring to those 30 people so that they are excited to bid on those items. If you, if you let your procurement efforts dictate what's going to be in your auction, there's definitely going to be a mismatch, mismatch there. You're, there's, you know, you're not going to get people as excited uh, versus finding out what these you know, top-tier bidders are going to uh, want to spend their money on, finding out what their interests are, and then going and finding a procurement strategy for that, you're going to get a lot more success. And, that, and that's also where consignment comes in, right? Because you can you can use items or procure items, get items that you wouldn't otherwise get to get on your own uh, to really cater to those interests. Absolutely. And I'll just add one thing onto there, and this is where the science comes in too, is that you know, when Ian says know your audience, know your data too. Right. You know, whether you're using a technology like one cause or any you know, out there, you're still in Excel, or even if you haven't even gotten to Excel, you have paper bid sheets, should be looking at that data and knowing what sells, know what's hot and what's not, and make sure, again, you've got a certain number of time and table space or attention if you're doing a live auction, you need to maximize that by knowing what's going to be give you the biggest return, um, fundraising return for you. All right. And let's talk about uh, right now um, how important it is to be refreshing your event year over year. And, uh, you know, I know uh, I have a number of clients that uh, that I've served now. Some I've got an auction coming up here later this year. It's the 25th year we've done their event. And some of these events tend to grow a little long in the tooth. And I think now more than ever, it's important to really hit the refresh button every single year on your event. And what are some of the things that you're seeing trending out there right now that, that you talk about what's hot, what's not? What are some of the must includes that organizations should be looking at uh, for this year's event? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when, as far as refreshing, people tend to think of like, oh, we just have to refresh our theme, right? And you do. I mean, you can't be, you know, back to school number 16, um, but you, it's more than just refreshing your, your theme. I think you have to, what I'm seeing out there is this concept that it's really engaging the total donor experience, right? And so it's everything. And again, this doesn't have to mean that if you're a small nonprofit, you don't have to have luxury everything, but you have to think about how are you engaging that donor. So what we're starting to see is a lot of attention, um, not, not paid to decor, but how do we treat our guests upon arrival, right? What's that experience like? What's registration? How do we make it seamless and easy? How do we make the donor feel welcome, right? And making sure you're paying attention to that. As far as refreshing um, other things go, I, I'm seeing a lot of attention paid to the aesthetics of auctions. And what I mean by that, not centerpieces, lighting, sound, 
um, making sure you're in a room where people can actually hear each other and aren't screaming, again, this donor experience, that they can see each other, that they can see their items. Um, again, if you, you take that and you carry it through programming, shortening up of programming, we're not seeing hour, hour and a half long programs anymore, right? Keep them engaged, keep them um, excited and move them through the experience. And then ultimately, that checkout is probably the most important thing. I see a lot of groups spending time, very thoughtful intention around how are we going to make that last impression, um, the one that they carry with them, so that we're not having them stand on the line for an hour at the end of the evening. So really, the like donor experience is the thing that groups are, are looking at and kind of getting a fresh take on. What is the advice that you give to nonprofits about speeding up that checkout process at the end of the night? Because it is true, your client can have uh, 95% of it can be just a wonderful experience for them. It's that last 5% where they get frustrated standing up in a lineup at the end of the night, uh, trying to uh, get cashed out and on their way home. And that can really sink your boat, can't it? It can, absolutely. And that's where I think the power of technology is so incredibly important, right? Making sure if you have a solution that you can do express checkout, uh, that they then you marry that with the old-fashioned volunteers that hopefully we all have, and we're able to then organize it so people have already paid. They don't have to wait in the line and pay. They can check out on their phone or they're automatically, if they have a credit card on file, uh, ready to go. Then you just have to get the troops in line so that However, they're picking up their items that that's seamless and easy as possible where that is, whether that's them going to a table and you have volunteers there and, and they're checking off they've picked up items or um, you've gathered them and staged them in another room that really depends, but think through that component um, so that the technology and the process come together to make a really seamless experience at the end of the evening. Kelly, what are you uh, seeing out there with all of the events that you're covering every year uh, as far as uh, 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 galas trending away, or a lot of these events trending away from the weekend evenings and moving into weeknights? Do you have any thoughts or input there? No, I mean, we are seeing, I think we are seeing a move to more events during the weekday, though on the average it's still a lot of weekend fundraising. Um, we are seeing some luncheons crop up, so people looking at ways to fundraise during the day, um, which is super interesting. I think really that's more of a, um, a regional question. You know, a lot of the big markets are still Chicago, New York, um, still L.A., still very heavy on the weekend fundraising. All right. Um, you talk about lunchtime uh, experiences for people, fundraising, uh, fundraising opportunities. Um, what have you seen out there that's working during a lunch hour or maybe as a breakfast meeting? Um, you know, same thing, except probably just in a more condensed format, right? So as with whether you're fundraising at a breakfast, you're fundraising at a luncheon, you're fundraising at a gala event in the evening, you've got a captive audience. They're there to support your cause. So how do you engage them? Um, how do you have multiple revenue streams? The most successful um, luncheons, breakfasts, are still combining um, the online before, because that's even more important, right? You don't often have at a breakfast or a lunch the ample amount of time that you have in the evening, so you have to kind of start that event almost in overdrive. So how do you get money coming into the door and then really, you know, marrying programming with 
um, seeing a lot more donation appeals at luncheons. Before, they used to be the home of the raffle, right? Or I'll put a card on the table and you can maybe leave me a gift, uh, a donation. But we're really seeing people using technology to orchestrate very powerful appeals at luncheons. So, again, that those become, you know, a fundraiser just as if you would do in the evening, except now you're conducting it during the day hours. All right. Now, if you were going to incorporate a a live auction with a a luncheon or a breakfast, or let's just talk live auction component of any fundraising event, what are the hottest items that you're seeing out there right now as far as donations? And this is one of the huge questions that I get from my clients all the time. What's hot, what's not? So what are some of the uh, best items out there, do you think, uh, for this coming year? Well, I'm going to answer it first with a, a slightly different answer, and then I'll get to the real quick answer. The hottest thing you can do for your live auction is have a hot auctioneer. Um, you got to have a good auctioneer these days. Well, in Again, that case, it, it must be Danny Huber because he's the hottest auctioneer out there. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, no, in all seriousness, donors are getting sophisticated, right? And we talk about this idea of a donor experience. You can't have the most amazing event and then, you know, have a live auction or a live appeal that falls flat and that really starts with engaging with the right auctioneer who can take your strategy and execute it um aside from that i mean once you have a good auctioneer then you have to marry that with really good items right items that are going to draw that excitement and we haven't seen that much of a change it's still travel drives a lot of this Mm -hmm. travel packages sports packages um parties uh, we do see a lot of parties, experiential parties, that um, are getting auctioned off. These are particularly popular at schools. Um, and I would still say entertainment. Um, but again, the, the thread that weaves all of those in and makes an item really good is how unique or valuable is the experience. And I'm not talking about the monetary value of it. Like, how unique is it? How different is it? How... Are you going to excite people, whether you're adding on like little perks to it or um, you just, it has to be something that stands out. Right. And I got I actually got a list here, Kelly. I think, I, I think you're nailed or you nailed the list there. Um, and as far as travel goes, I can, I have a list here of, of our top selling packages. Uh, kind of an order of the most popular is, you know, we, Tuscany Culinary, great. Uh, Napa Valley Backroads and Railways, Napa Valley is always a huge seller. Uh, Punta Cana Caribbean, you know, those tropical getaways, uh, always popular. Nashville Unplugged, Ireland, uh, classic Wrigley Field rooftops. There's a sporting experience. And then New Orleans Jazz is always there and up there in the top 10. So, you know, around the country, you know, if you can get that kind of experiential component with something very unique. And also locally, we've seen very po- popular items be those kind of local dinner parties, dinners for 10 uh, at local restaurants, or if you can get a local celebrity chef to come cook at your home, those are always huge. You know, if you get some sort of um, experience with a celebrity component, you are guaranteed to to get a huge return on that. So that's it's a good good item for your procurement efforts. And Ian and Kelly, if I can speak to that too, when we talk about experiences and offering experiences and some of these higher end experiences at your auction, remember that your live auction uh, typically, and, and Kelly touched on this a few minutes ago, is going to appeal to your to the higher end of your clientele, uh, the people that are maybe in a position to offer a little bit more support and engagement, financial engagement with your organization. But we need to remember too, those those higher income or those higher earners uh, very often have enough stuff 
already. These are very often wealthy people who have enough stuff, and what they want now is they want those unique experiences. And, you know, I ran into a situation up in Vancouver a couple of years ago, and we had an auction with uh, 100 very hand-selected, very wealthy people, and uh, eight of the 10 auction items included private jet travel to Gulf resorts, and the auction fell flat. I, I was amazed. We had a real tough time selling these packages, and in the debrief, we realized the reason we ran into trouble was because most of these guests at this event already had or had access to a private jet. Most of them had homes in, you know, luxurious golf destinations. So those auction items didn't have much appeal. What would have appealed to them would have been a, a, a two-week donkey ride up a mountain in Tibet, you know, that we would have done a lot better with an experience like that. So you really need to, and this is something we hear from organizers lots of times too when, when we suggest uh, a Winspire package, a high-end travel trip, not that all your packages are high-end, but when sometimes we'll, we'll suggest some of the higher-end trips, the, the, the Tuscany uh, culinary experience and whatnot, we hear from our clients, they say, oh, no, none of our guests could afford that. Well, you can't assume that. And you're going to have some people in the room, whether you know it or not, that can afford that kind of an experience. And so I think it needs to be on the table, and you need to have that offer there for them. That wasn't even a question. That was just me ranting. Yeah, I mean, it, it loops back to, Kelly, you and I talk about this a lot, um, just about knowing your audience. And that is such a key part. That's what we preach uh, to every single one of our, our customers, our nonprofits that we work with. Uh, you know, we're, you know, we help them position what packages are going to be best. And, and we can't really do, uh, we can make kind of general recommendations, but it, it all begins with getting to know your audience. And it, you can survey your audience. You can send out a very informal, you know, five, six question survey. You can post packages on your, your social media and have people vote. Uh, it's very easy to do kind of polling things. The, the idea here is you want to find out what the interests are of your audience, and, and I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, and then cater your procurement efforts to those interests. It's, it's really where it all begins. That's how you have a successful auction. You, you think of them like customers, right? You're running a storefront. This is how you think of them, the customers. You know, and, and Ian, and I'll add. sorry, sorry go, go ahead, Kelly. No, I was just going to say, to back up what Ian just said is, you know, to think about it in the world of, you know, development or nonprofit fundraising is we spend a ton of time knowing our audience when we're executing a capital campaign. We spend a ton of time trying to get into the data, understand our audience when we do an annual fund. We need to take that same mentality to our benefit auctions, right? And really knowing it's just a different fundraising experience, no different than our capital campaigns or our annual funds, right? But we need to know that audience before we walk in the door. So you don't want to be surprised about your outcomes. Um, take the time to know your audience, and you, you, that's half of the recipe for success. All right, Kelly, what about surveying your audience in advance, and what are some of the tools, some of the most effective tools that are available to nonprofits out there that maybe aren't going to cost them uh, anything or maybe cost very little? Um, a lot of uh, uh, nonprofit organizations already have, sometimes a very sizable email database, and what's an effective tool to use to get out and survey them and to say, what are your interests? We're looking at having a live auction. Here's some items that we're considering. Do you want to check in order of uh, rank these? Uh, maybe in which order would you be interested in or what would have the most appeal to you? Uh, what about tools that might be available? Yeah, I mean, I, I just go with the basic, you know, there's Google survey, there's, there's survey monkey, right? I mean, use what's free, use what's available. Um, I think that that's, what we see a lot of people using, I mean, if you have a sophisticated, you know, communication system, you can certainly use whatever tools are available for you. But if you're talking to the average nonprofit, 
I say keep it simple. Use a quick online survey. Um, I see schools getting super creative with their surveys, and they embed that into their weekly newsletters, or they put it on their website, or they put it in social media. Um, you know, you don't need to create a whole other process for surveys. Um, keep it easy. Keep it five, um, ten questions max. The shorter the surveys, the more responses, believe it or not, that you'll get back. All right. We're always uh, preaching to our clients. You need to engage your audience. And uh, when I talk to my clients, I'm thinking about engaging them at the event. But what you're saying is it's important to engage your audience long prior to the actual uh, event night. Yeah, actually, I, you know, um, I had this discussion with Corporate Giving Connection. They're another fundraising partner that I talk with, fundraising stuff with a lot. And, and we they actually, they, we talk about this idea that it's, it's not really bef- that we have to get out of this linear concept of fundraising, right? It's like pre-event and then during event and post-event. It's really just a circle of 365 days of engaging with our donors, right? The event is just one part of that engagement strategy. So how after the event are you using not to catapult you into your next discussion or engagement with your donors um, and you know really start to think about how all these pieces fit together year-round um, so your event is part of, you know, how does that fit into your annual appeal? How does that fit into other smaller events that you're doing? How does it in, in fit into volunteer strategies? But this idea is just a continuous circle of experience with our donors. I love it, Kelly. Yeah, I mean, so much of this has to do with, with reaching out. Like, I love what you already said. I mean, there's so much that time and effort that goes into getting to know your donors for capital campaigns and other giving campaigns. Why not do the same for, for your benefit auction or your fundraising event or your, or your gala, right? And, and so, same goes for reaching out before and using email campaigns to promote your auction items. That's such a big piece that people miss uh, so much. I mean, if, if you were to open up a store and, and try to sell products, right, what's the first thing you do? You start marketing those products to, to your customer base. And so uh, that's such an important piece that people who are running a fundraising event need to realize is if you expect people to just walk through the door the night of the event, sight unseen, and start spending a bunch of money, it's, you're going to have a tough time. Yes, it's for a good cause and people are there to spend money for that cause, but uh, you can amplify the amount, in, you know, that your efforts and the amount that gets spent if you just put in a little time, effort, and strategy into the not only the products that you put in front of them, but also how you market those products leading up to the event. Absolutely. So, Kelly, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you here today. And uh, one cause, of course, a company that uh, most people would probably know as BidPal. Uh, was rebranded here in early 2018. For those of uh, our listeners who would like to get in touch with you, Kelly, what's uh, the best way for them to do that? Uh, the best way is to visit our website, www.onecause.com. Um, I think, you know, we believe that the the most important thing we can do, whether you're a One Cause customer or you're a nonprofit, is help educate all of us in what are the fundraising best practices and the information that's out there. So I encourage everybody to check out our resource page. Uh, we've got a full library of webinars, blogs, infographics, I mean, you name it. Uh, there's probably something there for you to help not only your benefit auction, but really 365 fundraising. Um, you can take a tour. We have a test drive out there, but I would say go visit us online. Um, learn as much as you want, and we're always available there to chat or ask questions. All right. Well, as I said, uh, just been great having you on events with benefits. We thank you for your time. Thank you. Have a great day.
Thanks for listening to the show this week. For show notes, special offers, or to listen to previous episodes, you can visit us at eventswithbenefits.com. Please also consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and write us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at hosts at eventswithbenefits.com. We'll see you next time. <laughs>